This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Oklahoma 3rd District Representative Frank Lucas. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is working toward a global subsidy ceasefire. Learn more about the Zero for Zero plan at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Congressman Frank Lucas next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. And they know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. Their plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy, and you can learn more at sugaralliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Born in Oklahoma and representing the fifth generation of his family's livestock and crop farming operation, Representative Frank Lucas is a steadfast soldier for agriculture on Capitol Hill. Lucas says the legislature made significant progress on the nation's finances before leaving town for the August break, but he says there's still some very heavy lifting ahead when congressional leaders return in September. The big challenge was coming to an overall agreement between the House and the Senate about how much money should be spent overall and how to address the national debt. When that language passed the United States House before we came home for the August work period, now the United States Senate has followed through by passing uh, the language before they came home for the August work period. And in the last a little bit, President Trump has signed it. So we now have an agreement about how much to spend for 20 and 21. We have the general parameters of that. In the House, most of the appropriation bills have already cleared, including the Agriprops bill. I believe it should be something that can be done in short order because it's in everybody's best interest that we fund the federal government in an orderly fashion, whether it's ag or defense, research, all those kind of things. And it certainly is in President Trump's best interest as he goes into a re-election campaign in 2020. So I think that gets put to rest. The other challenge is the trade situation. Because no matter what commodity group you're in, what region the country you're in, we're all under pressure as a part of this trade war. Uh, the district I represent, which is essentially the northwest half of the great state of Oklahoma, I may not have an incredible number of soybean producers, but I've got a lot of grain sorghum milo people out in the Oklahoma panhandle. And those are a couple of, of the groups that have been hit the hardest in this struggle. I do appreciate, I do respect where President Trump is coming from when he said in his campaign when he ran the first time and then in this administration that the trade agreements, the trade deals were not equitable, they were not fair to us, and that we could not continue this way. I, I think he put his, he put his foot right on the, on the issue hard. Now, what's happened since then, Jeff? He has renegotiated with our neighbors in Mexico and Canada, what we used to call NAFTA, North American Free to Trade Agreement is now the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement. It's ready to go. The Mexican uh, National Congress has ratified it. My understanding is the Canadian Parliament, as soon as they come back from their August work period, will take it up. We expect them to ratify it. So the question is, when in the United States House will be we be allowed to vote? The President has indicated at various times in recent weeks he may give Speaker Pelosi and the Democratic majority in the United States House a push 
right now they don't want to take the thing up because they say it needs to be renegotiated to have more environmental language, to have more uh, labor agreements language. I would suggest to you we've pushed our neighbors north and south as hard as we can. We need to ratify this. We need to get this on the books, get the tariffs off, and get agricultural products flowing up and down uh, both uh, in, in every part of North America. And then that moves us on to Europe, the Japanese, and the China, Jeff. Senator Grassley of Iowa said there's not going to be USMCA unless Ms. Pelosi wants USMCA. And he pleaded with the administration to continue to be patient to allow that process to move forward. A committee of uh, majority in the House working with the trade representative to try to iron out some of these issues. Hopeful to see success by the time that we get back in September? I am an eternal optimist, Jeff. I wouldn't be a wheat farmer in Oklahoma by real profession. Bottom line is this. I have a difficult time seeing how, with the Mexicans having ratified their version or their their part of the treaty, with the Canadians on the verge of ratifying their part of the treaty, I have a hard time seeing how you go in and really renegotiate. Now, maybe there will be some side agreements. Maybe there will be some understandings. But I would hope Speaker Pelosi uh, is more focused on getting U.S. goods into the world market again, especially in Canada and Mexico, than maybe uh, than being focused, shall we say, on preventing the president from having a win. Because with the ratification of USMCA, that's the first big step because those are our huge trading partners to the north and south. You succeed that, that puts huge pressure on the Europeans. It puts huge pressure on the Japanese to come to terms. You bring those trade agreements to a focus, then that leaves the proverbial 12,000-ton uh, economic gorilla out there, how we deal with the Chinese, with agreements negotiated and ratified with everybody but them. That puts incredible pressure on them to come to terms with. Because remember, the Chinese have no particular perspective about ratifying this because for the last 25, 30 years, they have sold us literally two or three times more stuff than they bought from us. We have provided the capital to create their industrial economy. There's even rumors that perhaps the Chinese goal is to drag on the negotiations long enough to enable a change in administration and they would get better terms from a different president than they'll get from Donald Trump. I hope those those things are all wrong, but I know if we can't ratify USMCA, if we can't bring things to focus here in our immediate neighborhood, north and south in North America, then how in the world do we bring the rest of this to, to a conclusion? And I guess I tell, as I remind people in my town meetings across the district, when it comes to agricultural products, grain, meat, whatever, from the beginning of the country, we have been exporters. We have always produced more than we can consume in almost every commodity group. We have to sell into the world markets. Uh, this prevailing uh, in the international trade negotiations to get a more equitable situation means life or death for us in the long haul. So President Trump's right. I hope the Speaker will put the economic interest of the country ahead of short-term politics, but it's going to be a wild September, Jeff. In your party, certainly among conservatives and the progression of farm policy, we've moved away from controls and away from supports and toward a market-based economy. But yet in the middle of these battles or war over trade, We've seen the administration, $14 billion in supports last year through an FF, MFP program, 
and it looks to be another $16 billion this year. Is this compromising the overall objective of a market-based, risk-based set of farm programs? I think, Jeff, this is a reflection that trade is so important to the survival of production agriculture in the United States of America that literally we have to prevail. And if the president is willing to use the tools that were created in the 2014 and 2018 farm bills to enable our producers to survive this battle until it comes to a conclusion, that's a necessary thing, Jeff. Where would we be now without the safety net in the 14 and 18 farm bills uh, with what's going on? Grain sorghum, a classic example. Prior to the trade wars, so to speak, with the Chinese, they literally uh, took, for all practical purposes, the entire U.S. crop three years in a row. Where would we be uh, without that safety net? Think of all the other commodities that we sell. My colleagues sometimes in Congress who uh, have neither thought about nor ever been exposed to an Agicon class or to a real farm economy situation sometimes don't understand that if we lose our capacity to produce, if we lose our infrastructure, if we lose the miracle called American production agriculture, I don't see how you ever put all this back together again someday. We have to back the president up in prevailing in these trade wars. Otherwise, well, where will mainland China be 30 years from now? considering how far they've come uh, in the advantages they've had in doing business with us in the last 30 years. cannot allow this market-based system we have in the United States to be lost. It took a long time to bring it through both chambers, but the disaster bill was approved. Senator Ernst said it was really a drop of the bucket, a down payment toward uh, the need that was in the country. Uh, uh, Representative Bishop suggested that there was a lot more loss than $3 billion could fund. There's the call for an infrastructure piece of legislation. Locks and dams are in a tough spot. Uh, and I understand even in your area, you have some earthen water control projects that are past their 50-year lifespan. How do we, in the midst of all of the elements going on, do we go back with another disaster bill or a disaster infrastructure bill to try to resolve some of these issues? I don't know, Jeff, that I can give a clear answer to that. I just know that from the perspective of the authorizing committee, we put the language in place to enable us to address these issues. The appropriators actually handle the money where they will make the allocations. My philosophy on the Ag Committee for my entire tenure has always been that we treat all commodity groups in all regions in an equitable fashion. I think that could be extended to infrastructure too. You mentioned the small stream upstream flood control dam networks that we've been building since the 1940s. A lot of those structures in Oklahoma because we were very focused early on in the desire to have the flood flood protection. But this farm bill, the 18 farm bill, creates a mechanism to in an orderly priority based way build more of those upstream flood control dams. Uh, In eastern Oklahoma, we along with our neighbors in Arkansas I have the the miracle called the Kerr-McClellan Navigational System. The weather patterns that we've gone through uh, this year mean that there's going to be a lot of dredging. There's going to be a lot of work to try and get that navigation, inland water system, navigation system, up and going again fully. 
there's there are there are infrastructure issues across the country as a whole. Uh, how we prioritize those dollars, I would like to think that when when it comes together, the next big infrastructure package, yes, it won't just be the most high-profile airports or the interstate highway system, uh, the most major major ocean-going ports. It will be all of the other pieces that fit together to make uh, to make this work. Because again, if you can't move your product in an orderly fashion, then you can't sell. I know agriculture is a part of your family, and I would be interested in your thoughts on the overall farm economy. And there have been calls in the upper chamber about amending bankruptcy rules that would expand those dollars to reflect uh, the agriculture that we have today, obviously in a step of replacing policy uh, that, that may be outdated, being soberly aware of what might be coming later this fall and winter. I see economic pressure on my and on my neighbors, whether your livestock or your crop. Even though the support is still solid in my part of the country to prevail in the trade wars, because ultimately I think my constituents, my neighbors understand that's ultimately in our best interest. Uh, that said, right now the most nervous people I deal with are my uh, banker constituents, whether it's your commercial retail bankers or, for that matter, farm credit, because they're watching the balance sheets of their customers. They're thinking about uh, what happens when the summer crops come in. They're thinking about the input costs to put the winter crops in the ground, the livestock programs in general. So there's nervousness out there. I think that's why the president has shown in these early stages support for trying to use the tools that exist to take some pressure off the people I think uh, even the administration sees what's going on. But again, if we cave at this stage and we allow our friends in Europe or our friends in Asia to continue the advantages they have, then uh, it won't matter how we adjust the bankruptcy laws. It won't matter what kind of short-term disaster programs we have. We'll just be upside down forever, and we can't let that happen, Jeff. I don't know that I have ever seen an issue as polar as trade and these trade wars have become. Congressman, there's consequences if you do nothing, and there's consequences if you do something. Is this finally the place where our backs are against the wall that we had no choice but to stand up? I think that pretty much describes the situation. What we need is a price, and we have to have a market to get price. And we've got to have a trade agreements that get us to those markets. I think the president and and Ambassador Lighthouser and Secretary Purdue understand that. I think they're pushing as hard as they can, but they're dealing with very aggressive competitors who, as I mentioned earlier about the Chinese, have had everything going their way in the broad swath of trade for 20, 30 years. They don't want to give it up. That's why this is such a hard fight. Congressman, we have laws and regulations of the country for how chemistries and how technology is approved through EPA, through USDA, through the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, it's replicated science. It's a very rigorous process to be approved and also to be reapproved. But yet there is pushback today against some chemistries and some products that have been available to producers for a long time. It seems as if our regulatory system is on trial as we find the products that are being called into question that, that are 
making the companies that produce these vulnerable, not to the science, but to the courtroom. Exactly right. First, let me say I believe we have a very competent uh, EPA director, the Environmental Protection Agency, under Administrator Wheeler. Uh, knowledgeable individual, long experience in the subject matter, a very firm grasp of how the federal bureaucracy works. So we've got the right person in that role. But we have, over time, uh, created an industry of using the courts to, uh, shall we say, generate revenue probably as much as generate policy. And the courts should not be generating policy. Policy should be created at the agency level based on laws passed by Congress. Uh, but that's not the case. And we've all, we've all seen in the last 20 or 30 years where individuals or groups who want to pursue a certain agenda will judge shop or court shop to find the right jurisdiction and file suits to get what they want done and to have rulings by judges that compel agencies to sometimes uh, reinterpret or ignore federal law to do that and generate massive streams of money to pay the fees in the process. Uh, that's unfortunate, but that's where we are and why in Congress, uh, and for that matter the administration, we can't step back from the rule of law as envisioned by the Constitution and become uh, a system driven by mob actions manipulating the courts. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's some names that come to my mind. Combest, Stenholm, Harkin, Chambliss, Dorgan, uh, the late Cochran, uh, even Johans, stalwart members of the U.S. Congress who were steadfast for U.S. agriculture, and now we add another name in Mike Conaway. Your thoughts on working with him and your thoughts of what's left with those who are there inside the Congress to stand up for agriculture and rule America on key issues. Chairman Conaway was, has been, and will continue for the rest of this session of Congress to be a pleasure to work with. Uh, when I did the 2014 Farm Bill, he literally was my right-hand person, and as he then became chairman, and now ranking member, but as chairman, and wrote the 2018 Farm Bill, I did everything I could to help him, to help facilitate his efforts. Uh, solid guy, very focused, very rational. He will be missed, but I can understand in the environment we're in why the, the Conaways would choose to do something different at this stage in their life. We just have to work harder, Jeff, to bring along that next uh, generation of folks to work with. And I've been around long enough to know that for every solid member, there's a, an up-and-coming junior member somewhere out there. We just have to identify them and work with them and try and try and continue to move this great miracle called American agriculture forward. Just not sure we're able to replace those like Roberts and Combest and certainly Lucas. You can't you can't leave. You've got to be there on the job for a while, Congressman. Uh, I want to thank you very very much for uh, spending time with us here on Open Mic. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And you've been on this program before. You know that in Open Mic, the Congressman gets the last word. Well, let me simply say this: I hope President Trump. I believe President Trump will prevail on the trade negotiations. We have to do what we has to be done using existing federal law to facilitate that, to hold everything together until he prevails. But by winning the trade wars, 
we have the most efficient, we have the most effective uh, production model in the world, we will continue to prosper. But if we give up, if we fail to defend the concepts of the market economy, fair trade, uh, then I don't know what ultimately happens. I always used to tell people in the 14 Farm Bill process when some of my liberal colleagues would scream at me, why do farmers matter? We need to put more money into the food stamps, the social nutrition programs, and I'd look them in the eye and say, well, never forget, it doesn't matter how much money you put into that food stamp program, if there's not a farmer or rancher there to raise the product, if there's not an, an American processor there to prepare the product, if there's not a retailer there to put it on the shelf, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much credit you have on your food stamp card if there's nothing in the store to buy. Our thanks to Oklahoma 3rd District Representative Frank Lucas, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is working toward a global subsidy ceasefire. Learn more about the Zero for Zero plan at sugaralliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.